Hey folks, it's Tony Russo from the So What's Your Story podcast, reminding you that you can subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, and that way it will get delivered automatically. Thanks so much for supporting our show, and thank you so much for supporting Public Radio. There seemed to be a revolving cast of characters coming in and out of my parents' house. They were great storytellers. And just looking back on their lives, sometimes I only had like a sentence to go on or sometimes just a feeling. So reimagining characters, sort of uh, recreating and creating new characters and being surprised and saying, who is this person? Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have award-winning author Regina Porter. Her debut novel, The Travelers, focuses on two American families, one white and one black, and follows their stories across generations. Regina's work, which has been lauded by O Magazine, The New Yorker, The New York Times, and Publishers Weekly, looks at issues like race, gender, and what it means to be an American. So welcome to the podcast, Regina. Oh, thank you. It's nice to be here. I'm delighted to have you here, and I'm delighted to talk to you about The Travelers because, to me, the first thing that kind of struck me about it is that it feels so massive. I mean, I'm a short story writer. I like to, you know, a couple of characters, I'm in and I'm out. But yet you have this sort of array of characters, and they are across you know, a, a good chunk of, you know, uh, time. And I just was like, how in the, w-? I mean, that just seemed like such an incredible task. And then for you to pull it off in the way you did, I mean, it's just, you know, sort of was just, I mean, my top kind of came off. But oh. I, would, you t- would you tell our listeners a little bit about how you came to The Travelers? Um, well, uh, as you said, the story uh, follows two families, um, from the 1950s to Obama's first year as president. And for me, I I took it one um, chapter at a time, one character at a time. I felt if I stopped and I uh, became overly analytical, I I would run the risk of the plot becoming uh, convoluted. So I really tried to just anchor myself um, in place. um, And I would ask myself, what does this character really fear? What does he or she really uh, want? Um, And then just keep going. And when I wasn't certain, I would stop. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's the worst part, right? Because when you're like, okay, well, let me just, if I keep pushing, then something good will come out. But that's not not necessarily the case. It's not always the case. (laughs) And it's a fine line because you don't want to stop for too long because months can pass. Mm. So, but I would stop. There's a a saying, uh, Hemingway once said, sometimes it's good to stop when the writing feels good so you can look forward to the next day. And there's some truth uh, to that, I find. And then sometimes when I was stuck, then I would go back and I would do research. Like I might say, well, how much was a bottle of milk uh, uh, when uh, the man James was four or five? Uh, That's when I would just do a few lines here and there because I didn't want it to become um, just bogged down in research, just enough to ground 
the characters and give a sense of place and make it seem authentic. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because one of the one of the difficulties that many of us have, but I, I personally have a lot, is like, oh, that's interesting. And then the next thing you know, you spend three days down a rabbit hole with the history of milk in the 1950s. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're true. like, well, I'm working. Yeah. You're not, not working. You're, you're avoiding work by yeah. learning about something you don't need to know about. And then you feel like the difficulty, and a lot of when you said bogged down, that's what kind of rang my bell. Because I think sometimes when I read a novel and it's getting bogged down, I'm like, you were so proud of yourself for finding all this stuff out that you couldn't keep it to yourself. And so now you're making me read it too, but I don't, I don't need to know it. You just need to know it and tell me why it's important. Yeah. Well, there are a couple of writers I'm in awe of, and one of them is uh, Edward P. Jones. I think he wrote a novel, um, The Known World, and I remember um, him saying that uh, when he was writing, he realized at one point it was dangerous uh, to do too much uh, research. Um, uh, the novel takes place during slavery, and so he, he I think, went out and got a bunch of books, and then he said, you know what, I'm going to just stop. And uh, I tried to remember that, and I also had um, a very good professor. I, I went to um, the Our Writers Workshop, uh, Margot Levesey, and I remember her s saying to me, don't worry about the research, do you know? Later you can go back, you can go to some of the sites, and the research you're thinking will take months, you might be able to do in two or three weeks. You just need to get a sense of a place sometimes, yes. Yes, and I think it kind of speaks to, you know, balance. And I yes. think that's something writers <laughs> sort of always search for is the balance between research and the writing and, you know, and something you were saying earlier about the characters, their motivations. And I think that's something else that as writers we, you know, there's a certain amount of what we want the character to yes. do. But once you have this character, that character will do, they will follow their own motivations yes. so that even though they are creations of our mind, they're going to do, they're going to take on yes. these motivations and then letting, you know, it, sometimes it feels like the job of the writer is to help facilitate them moving through the plot. And so was that, with so many characters to keep track of, um, did you, was there anything that sort of struck you about that process of letting those characters kind of come forward on their own? Well, sometimes music helped. I listened to music um, a great deal while writing uh, the novel. There's a character, uh, Eloise Delaney. She is um, a lesbian. She knows it from a young age. She grows up in 1950s um, in the South, uh, and so, um, you know, she had such a clear sense of who she uh, uh, who she was from even a young age, and so at times, just writing someone would I think that kind of confidence in a way. I don't tend to think of myself as being confident in that way. Um, I had to pause, and then when I didn't always understand um, her motivations. Um, I remember one time I was listening to Love Child by Diana Ross and the Supremes, and I thought, oh, okay, uh, she knows who her father is. She knows her mother and dad. They're both alcoholics, but she's, she's like uh, this love child, and uh, she has such like resilience. That song really 
helped me. It helped guide me uh, to the end of her chapter and just give me a sense of her. So whenever I was doubtful, I could play that song, sometimes dance around the room, and then sit back down and just write away. That's so sometimes beautiful. music does that. Music is usually rooted very specifically in time and place, and it helps, I find, yeah. I never thought of that song as about resilience, and now I'll never think of it in any other way. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. It's because it is right on the nose, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah but I think that's, that's one of the things is, you know, as a writer myself, like I struggle, you know, you were saying you struggle with self-confidence, and I think that's sort of a normal place for writers, but almost like it sounds like within that character it was like kind of freeing her confidence is kind of freeing for you to say, yeah, I'm just going to. I'm going to charge through this. Yes, as as a writer it's a it's a dare. <laughs> okay, can I keep up with the character because you're right. The characters if you're if you're doing it the right way, the characters should run off the page and you should stop and go, where are they going? Wait, wait, wait. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> usually w when it's the other way around, I've written myself out of stories by trying to know too much or anticipate too much or even research too much. So I've learned uh, it's okay. I don't have to know everything. Um, the poet Rita uh, Dove uh, said once uh, when she was visiting Iowa, I don't know. Um, those are okay words. They're kind of important words. You have permission to say, I don't know. Oh, yeah. that's so reassuring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it never occurred to me, but yeah. man, that really is reassuring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it's, it's, when you said that, it, it happens to be a challenge that I've, I try to level on myself because I've got a big mouth, right? And you know, it's, I think, important a lot of times to be upfront with your ignorance. Like, you know, it's, I, I always say to myself, when was the last time you said, oh, you know what? You're right. <laughs> and just <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yes. and, and, just, and just accepted the fact that there's stuff that you don't know and that, that distance, that, that this distance is where the discovery happens. Yes. And the discovery is where, is where I, I would expect a novel takes place. I have a novel's beyond my, my, yes. my scope of work. I'm, I'm, I do shorter things as well. Um, do, do you find that, that, that the, the process of discovery has to do with that distance between what you, what you expect and then what you believe and then what you know? Uh, yes, the process for me is really all about, is, especially with this novel, what I discovered, um, I um, remember snippets of stories as a child. Uh, fam uh, family members visited from uh, the north. I did grow up down south in Georgia, and uh, there seemed to be a revolving cast of characters coming in and out of my parents' house. They were great storytellers. Um, and just looking back on their lives, sometimes I only had like a sentence to go on, or sometimes just a feeling. So reimagining um, characters, sort of uh, recreating and creating new characters, and being surprised and saying, "Who is this person?" And then also f realizing as I'm writing connections with relationships, people. I um, didn't initially know we're going to bond or have a connection, finding that uh, in the novel too, yes. Oh, wow. Like couples even. I remember yeah. at one point I did not know, um, I did not really realize 
when James and Adele were going to meet. And uh, so when they have their initial encounter in the novel, I'm, I'm like, oh my God, so I see, I understand now. Oh, this makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I think yes. you were saying about you know, the people coming in and them being sort of like cast of characters coming in. And you know it kind of struck me as you were talking, I'm like, well, this is what happens when we're storytellers, right? Yes. So mm -hmm. I, I can see in you, you know, as a young child, like listening and absorbing yes. and that impulse to be a storyteller. And then, you know, and how we sort of work out the cast of characters yes. that we meet along our life and then and turn that back into storytelling, which it sort of, as you were sitting here telling me, like, oh, well, she's a storyteller. Yeah. Well, all stories are rooted in the oral tradition. And so when I, I didn't realize it as a child, but when family members sat around the table or friends came over uh, and recounted um, events from their lives, they were telling stories. So really, I was being taught how to tell stories. And they were very entertaining stories. and and. Uh, uh, the family members and friends were, were entertaining and just watching my parents' interaction was entertaining and I learned new things uh, about them. So um, you really do learn how to tell stories in some ways from the people around you, the people you live with. Yeah. On, on a more practical level, when you have this many characters, mm -hmm. did you have a method for keeping like the I imagine like a wall with stickies on it. Like this one's related to this one, and this one knows this about this. Like how much of that was in your head, and how much of that was like committed to a notebook someplace? For you um, I, it was in my head, and I did not really go um, back and uh, link together all of the um, threads with the relationships, like really just tie them together. I discovered them until I got to the end. And then I went back and said, okay, now I'm going to tighten this. Uh. Oh, I saw where, where this happened. But I tried to let it be as organic as possible. And I've been thinking about your question because I, I get it uh, a great deal. How did you keep up with so many um, characters? And I think that's why I started out as a playwright. Playwriting uh, comes. Uh, into play because mm -hmm. in plays people enter and exit all the time characters enter stage left exit stage right you know so um there's constant movement and so i think that's the evolution of my writing going from playwriting to prose that um uh just playing with a cast of characters yes yeah that actually <laughs> that was actually one of the questions i had was um, your playwriting background, yes. like how did you feel that that sort of um, sort of enhanced or, or whatever? But it makes perfect sense now yes. that you say that because you know having we've had playwrights on the podcast before, and that's the thing that they seem to be able to do is to be able to see those revolving doors yes. and people coming and going in a way that you know helps keep things moving but mm -hmm. not too busy if that yes. makes any sense yes you know you can see that kind of that ebb and flow but it doesn't feel like you're in a waiting room packed with people everybody mm -hmm. just waiting to you know stick their hand up so oh that's my number you uh -huh. know so i you know the other part of playwriting is dialogue too yes. is that's your main vehicle to work with so i would imagine that moving from playwriting and having dialogue and then moving that into prose was probably 
Uh, it helps. Um, uh, it dialogues. Certainly, they're different. Um, uh, there are different ways to approach writing prose. One of them is movement through uh, dialogue. There, there's, you, you have a choice of what kind of architecture you want to use to help uh, give uh, narrative momentum. So sometimes I did use um, dialogue. Uh, and, and, and sometimes I tell uh, students this, it helps to um, go on a subway or get on a bus and just listen to people, to listen to the way people talk, to, and then when you're listening, of course, you're going to watch their body language. Um, no two people talk the same way. So there's movement in the language, which often corresponds with the movement in the plot and the progression of the plot. And so these things are lessons I think I probably learned from being a playwright. Yeah. That is genius. Yeah. That is so genius. <laughs> I'm never, ever going to forget that. <laughs> like, I'm going to write that down somewhere. That is just... that. I've never thought of that, the mechanics of our dialogue, the mechanics of our body as we speak, as something that would inform the narrative. Yes. And also, it's the landscape around us. Um, the, and, and, and not just landscape as in a rolling field, but say the landscape of uh, the library we're in right now. Landscape informs everything. It informs language. It informs if you're in a cramped space, right? That's going to, when you, you talk or it's really hot or whatever, it, it can slow down the language. It can speed it up. And so I just really try to listen for those slight adjustments and that helps me kind of sink deeper into character um, and that's the kind of stuff um, that I think also uh, grounds the writing or I try to yeah oh my gosh yeah when you're getting ready to kind of embark on this novel how much did you toy with it before you said this is a novel and not a play this is a novel and not a short story because We've so far we've 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 spoken with uh, with a lot of short story writers and a, and and a lot of nonfiction writers, but this idea of this massive novel, I mean, it's intimidating. I don't think anybody has ever written and not started one, but starting one and finishing one are, yeah. are two radically different things. Um, so I'm sorry. So the the question is, when did you when did you just like no this is this is something I'm going to spend some time on, and this is going to take me a while, but it's going to be. Well, first off. I have my novel that's sitting uh, in a desk that no one will ever see. So when I say I learned from experience that you can write um, yourself out of a story or a novel, I'm being quite uh, frank. I remember um, just having a journal with notes and notes about the uh, characters. And when I sat down to write them, they were dead on the page. I knew too much. I had yeah. nowhere to go. I had nothing to discover. Um, as far as the difference between uh, knowing when it's a short story or um, uh, a novel and then just uh, going to the end, um, I tried not to rewrite or look back as I, um, as I wrote, but to just get to the end. And, and when people would say to me, is it a short story or a novel? I'd say, I don't know. And sometimes <laughs> they'd say, but you have to know. And I owe Ethan Kanan a huge debt because he saw me working one day at 
the cafe high ground and he came over and he said hey Regina how's it going and I said oh it's going okay Ethan I'm just plugging ahead uh, he said great and then I said wait people keep asking me if I'm writing a short story collection or a novel and he said that's not for you to worry about just write it and get to the end don't worry about that let the publishers worry about that <laughs> <laughs> and that was really helpful. That's that was really too. helpful. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, to, to be able to kind of take, because I think sometimes as writers, you know, we sit down and we say, this is the story. This is where it goes. This is mm -hmm. my arc. These are my characters. These are all the pieces. And then I think sometimes they're like kind of like a self-imposed, well, this yes. is what it has to be because this is what I started out yes. for it to be. And sometimes letting the work tell you what it is yes. is a little bit like take the pressure off and... <laughs> you know, and move forward that way. Well, and not only that, but, but as you said, like when you have all those pieces, then you're not writing. You're trying to jam these preconceived pieces together into something that you hope makes sense. But I, I love that idea of just, I'm going to write until it's done. Yes. And then I'll figure out. Yes. Going back and, yes. and tweaking the connections and then going back and saying, okay, this is, you know, just get the story out. I mean, and we say that all the time, but we don't do, I'm sorry. It's I very difficult to do. It was very challenging to do. I, uh, part of my discipline was learning when to just stop. Do you know what I, and I would say, if I keep going at this moment, I'm going to force something and I'm going to destroy my writing. And if I hadn't stopped and I really had forced moments, then some of the connections that ended up being organic wouldn't have happened because I would have changed the destiny of uh, a particular character, which would have then changed the destiny of another character. And that's how you sometimes get hemmed in. Yeah. I struggle with this all the time. I know something's forced, and then rather than just discarding it, I just try to make it look less forced. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many hours I've wasted saying, well, what if we did this? No, it still looks forced. Well, what if we did? But the idea of like, well, I already wrote it, so I have to make it yeah. fit. That's really, it's really tough to give up that something, because you, you made the effort. You're like, well, I made the effort. I may as well fix it rather than just throw it away. But sometimes having the, the, the sense and the fortitude to say, no, I forced that, and it's garbage, and there's no, there's no need to try to build upon that because that is your weak link, and it's not going to be any yes. less weak if you change the word or the position or the paragraph. But do you know what's wild? With every uh, piece you work on, you're going to run into some of the same problems, so we could have this conversation now, and then when I sit down and I'm writing the next piece, I'm going to have to have a different version of this conversation where I might catch myself forcing um, uh, a, a moment or a character to take the wrong turn or a turn I want, and we'll see how it goes. You, <laughs> it's, you start over every time. That's yeah. probably the most challenging thing about writing. Because yeah. the second, it, it's not, yes. it's not forming, I mean, even in even in genre yes. driven uh, plot plot driven plays, it's still not the same. It's still you're still solving the same problems over and over again. We really do have to reinvent the wheel. Yes, like. every time. <laughs> <laughs> so, absolutely. And I think you know one of the the interesting pieces of kind of what you're doing is allowing kind of allowing the reader to take this like kind of organic trip with you yes. and 
I think it kind of speaks to the level of mastery of the craft to be able to say, no, those pieces have to go away or, or I'm just going to trust in the process that we're all going to kind of, you know, take this kind of trip together. And I think that um, kind of leads me to the question of like, when you get to the end, like, is it sad? You know, like, is it like when you get to the end because you're having to say, you know, we've, you've kind of done this massive undertaking you get to the end and is it relief? Like, whew, I pulled it off. Or is it, you know, oh my gosh, now, now I have to say kind of goodbye in a way. I think now I'm just finally starting to say goodbye because I feel like there's distance. I was just working so hard for so so long. And so now I think this is the point where I'm finally saying uh, goodbye, where I think there's an opening and I can really start thinking um, in a very healthy way about um, the next project. I can tell you that as far as endings, um, I, th I had a false ending initially. I have a good friend, Mia Bailey, and we took um, every workshop class together, so she read uh, all the uh, uh, chapters, and uh, when I gave her what was initially the ending, she said, no, this is not the ending. And I said, <laughs> but it is the ending. I'm ready for it to be the ending. I'm, it's the ending. And she goes, Regina, no, it's not the ending. And I was mad with her. But then <laughs> it, took, it took like three weeks, and I sat and I thought, oh, she's right, I'm copping out. It's not the ending. It's not the ending. And I had to go back and just really look and sort of sit and think about what, what is the ending. And it, it came. For me, that's, <laughs> that's, that's often where, where I begin is, for me, I have to figure out what it's about. Once, yeah. once I get that, I, I write from a theme, like yeah. once, I know what I, I know, all right, so this is the story, and the story is going to kind of look like this. But once, I, once I'm like, okay, this is what it's about. Like once, once I, I know I want to write a story, and I know I want the story to have these components, but like I don't want to do really, but I am going to have to. What it's really about, like what's, yeah. what I'm trying to get at, that's when I have my key to go forward. And until then, it's just like, well, we'll put this down for now and see <laughs> what happens from there. Um, when you're so do you take a lot of time like so this is this is your your first published novel but your second completed novel do you do you take a lot of time between like are you gonna are you gonna take a break and enjoy this a little bit or are you gonna right back to work or what's the plan on that um you know i think uh something's stirring in my head and i don't know exactly what shape it's going uh to take i probably won't take too much more uh, of a break yeah, because I, I feel like something's building but I don't have a clear sense yet of, of what it is. Mm. Um, Almost like a storm on the horizon and it's just you can kind of hear well, it and sense it. Well, yeah, or um, it's a case of just when I say I have distance, I can look up at the world around me um, and see something or think about something other than the character Agnes or, or Eddie or uh, the man James. I'm starting to 
be able to look uh, at the world again in a really nice way and think, oh, it's really, really quiet, so maybe that means it's time for something else to come in. <laughs> <laughs> Some more noise, different kind, you know. Yeah, and I think that, you know, sort of, you know, that is something that, you know, for writers, I think there's always something sort of percolating. Mm -hmm, you know, yes. we, we sort of had the main work that we're doing, but there's always little things bubbling and percolating sort of on the mm -hmm. edges that, yeah. you know, you know, once you get sort of that, you know, main work out, then you can say, okay, now what, what, what else is out there? And, and just wait to let something, you know, either hook you, pull you in mm -hmm. or, or, and it sounds like maybe they're, you're sort of going to be sort of seeing what, what's bubbling out there yes, for you. Yes, so that's where I am now, just seeing what's out there and seeing what uh, shape it's going to take. Fantastic. All right, Stephanie, now this is the part of the show where you thank the guests. Well, Regina, thank you so much for being on the podcast and talking with us today. Again, thank you for having me. Water Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at sowhatsyourstorypodcast.com where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Radio Public, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, take a second and give us a great review. Tell your story.